This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the song, praising my Savior all the day long. You know, one of the things that I think is most important as a Christian is that we be faithful I think as we start this new year, that, that, and I started to preach on that. I won't be preaching on that tonight. But, boy, it is so important that, that we're faithful. And I'm going to sing a song called May the Lord Find Us Faithful. God has not given us the spirit of fear. But has given us the strength to obey With power and sound mind With love the unfailing kind Oh, be not ashamed of his way May the Lord find us faithful May his word be our banner held high. May the Lord find us faithful. 
every day though we live though we seeketh after things of this life is a soldier who passes the test. Be faithful, be working, be running, be serving, be searching his word for his best. May the Lord find us faithful. May his word be our banner hell high. May the Lord find us faithful every day though we live, though we dying may honor be thine from this wretched life you loved and forgave a life that is on fire be only our heart's desire be faithful from now to the grave may the lord find us faithful may his word be our banner held high may the lord find us faithful every day though we song I heard it was somebody's favorite song so whosoever's favorite song this is I hope it's a blessing to you would that be you brother <laughs> in the dark of the midnight have I oft hid my face while the storm howls above me and there's no hiding place mid the crash of the thunder precious lord hear my cry keep me safe till the storm passes by till the storm passes over till the thunder sounds no more till the clouds roll forever from the skies hold me fast let me stand in the hollow of thy hand keep me safe Till the storm passes by. Many times Satan whispered, There is no need to try, For there's no end of sorrow, There's no hope by and by. But I know thou art with me, 
And tomorrow I'll rise Where the storms never darken the skies Till the storm passes over Till the thunder sounds no more Till the clouds roll forever From the sky Hold me fast, let me stand In the hollow of thy hand Keep me safe Till the storm passes by When the long night has ended And the storms come no more Let me stand in thy presence On that bright, peaceful shore In that land where the tempest never comes Lord, may I dwell with thee when the storm passes by Till the storm passes over Till the thunder sounds no more Till the clouds roll forever From the sky Hold me fast, let me stand In the hollow of thy hand Keep me safe Till the storm passes by. To 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. It's good to see you folks here tonight. It's always good to have some folks to preach to. It's better to preach to somebody than nobody. And I'm glad you're all here so I don't have to preach to nobody. But uh, God is good, and he gave us a good day today, and I went out to eat with Pastor and his family, and well, I tell you, I ate too much, and uh, so I'm suffering for it, but uh, that's, I guess that's the way it is, but uh, God is good. All right, First Kings chapter 18, I'm going to start reading in verse number 17. 1 Kings chapter 18 and beginning in verse number 17. Let's pray first. Father, thank you for this evening service and thank you, Father, that we could come together to sing songs and honor and glorify you and hear the preaching of the word of God. And Lord, we realize that, Lord, there are many churches that don't even have an evening service. And we thank you, God, that this church has uh, continued to stand strong for you. And thank you for the folks, Lord, that have been faithful in this church and in this ministry, God, and thank you for this pastor, and God, we just pray that you'll bless this preaching time and use it for your honor and glory, Father, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. In First Kings chapter 18 and verse number 17, the Bible says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent 
and all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Now if you'll skip over to verse number 36, and the Bible says, and It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And as I look at this passage of Scripture, I want to speak to you tonight on how to have revival. How to have revival. This passage deals with the revival which took place on Mount Carmel in the days of the prophet Elijah. And I know that, you know... You can get books on revival, and, and uh, of course, uh, you know, I know my, my preacher's been preaching on revival for actually for the last few years. Now, not every sermon, but uh, the emphasis for the most part has been on revival. But yet, as I think about all of that, uh, I, I, I think you'll agree with me that, that if we're going to look at revival and what it takes to have revival, then we need to look at a Bible example. And what took place in Elijah's day on, my, on, on Mount Carmel, I believe, is the best example of, of what a revival is and how to have a revival. The Bible is the best example that we can have. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, I just want to pull out a few things that happened in, in, the, in the life of Elijah and in the lives of these Israelites that caused God to bring, to bring revival into their lives. And, and, and I believe that, that, boy, if there ever was a time when we needed revival, it's now. Amen. We need revival. I see so many Christians that are just, man, just dead spiritually. I mean, just, uh, just kind of moping along, just kind of going along, but with, with no real zeal for God, no real fire for the Lord. You say, what's the problem, Brother McCoy? You need revival, see? We need revival, and if we're going to have it, then we're going to have it the way the Bible says to have it. Now, as we look at this passage, I don't think there's, that there's anything mysterious about it, anything spectacular about it, but, but it's there in plain view for us on how to have revival. And, and, and the first thing I want us to see is found in verses 17 and 18, and that is that we must turn the spotlight on ourselves. We must turn the spotlight on ourselves. You know, it's interesting that the further we get away from God, the more we look at other people and the less we look at ourselves. You ever talk to a person that's backslidden, 
Boy, you talk to a person that, that, that stops coming to church and, boy, they're not living for God. And, and I'll guarantee you they will never talk about their sins. But, but they'll uh, complain about the preacher. They'll complain about the church. They'll complain about, uh, uh, boy, other Christians and, and what they're not doing. And, and the problem is, listen, that, that they don't want to look at themselves. They want to look at others. And listen, Christian, you will never have revival in your life until you first of all turn the spotlight on yourself. See? Boy, we need to stop looking at other people and what other people are doing and look at ourselves and what we are doing. In Psalm 139, in verse 23 and 24, notice what the Bible says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Amen? Amen. Try me and know my thought. You see, the problem is not what's in your heart as far as revival in my life. The problem is what's in my heart. Amen? But listen, if I'm going to have revival, it's not a matter of what your thoughts are. It's what my thoughts are. And those are the things that I need to look at. He says, uh, and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Uh-uh. And lead me in the way everlasting. You see, in Psalm 51, David was not looking at anyone but himself. He said, I have sinned. And we need to do the same thing. You know, people used to sing the song, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Huh? Not my father, not my brother, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my sister, not my brother, not the preacher, not the deacon, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And boy, I tell you, in this day and age, we want to look at everybody but ourselves. And we want to put the blame on somebody else. And I'm telling you tonight, listen to me, if, if all you think about is what other people are not doing and how other people are living and all of this, I want to tell you something, you're not right with God. And you certainly don't have revival in your life. Because listen to me, the further you get away from God, the more you look at others and the, and, and the less you look at yourself. But if you're going to have revival, it's got to be the other way around. Notice what, 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 what the Bible says here in verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And you see the pattern? Ahab... And his wife Jezebel had turned a whole nation away from God. And they were worshiping idol gods. They were doing everything except what God told them to do. And because of it, God had pronounced judgment upon them. And and God had said that there would not be rain, you see, for, for, for over three years. Now, you'd think that Ahab would say, boy, I've, I've, I've really turned my back on God. Man, I've got to get things right with God. I'm not right with God. But he didn't do that. When he sees Elijah, he said, okay, there's the problem. It's not my sin. It's not my idol worship. It's not my backslide. Hey, it's that preacher. He's causing all the trouble. Well, if it wasn't for that preacher, boy, everything would be all right around here. And what was his problem? See, he's looking at Elijah instead of looking at his own life. 
and seeing that the, that the cause was not Elijah. Elijah just pointed out the problem. Well, you know, that, that, that'd be like going to the doctor and the doctor examines you, you know, and uh, puts the stethoscope on you and says, you know, boy, you've got heart trouble. And then you turn to the doctor and say, you know what, doc, it's your fault. <laughs> oh, if it wasn't for that doctor, I'd be all right. No, the doctor didn't cause the heart trouble. He just pointed it out. Amen? And listen, that heart patient ain't going to uh, ever get any better if he's just blaming the doctor. You see, he's got to look at himself and say, okay, I've got to take some positive steps to, prove, to improve my condition, you see. Then he may improve. And I'm saying in the same way, boy, people want to blame the preacher. They want to blame other Christians and blame the church. And when, when, when the problem is not there, the problem, my friend, lies within you. I read where this certain preacher used to counsel people and they'd come in, they'd be mad as, I don't know what, at somebody about something. And, but you know what he'd tell them more often than not? He said, he'd say this, he said, the problem evidently is in you. The problem evidently is in you. Now listen to me. Boy, you're mad at somebody. Man, you're all beside yourself. Man, you've got a, a, some, some bad feeling. Hey, listen, the problem's not in them, my friend. The problem's in you. And you'll never have revival until you turn the spotlight on yourself. Elijah said, there's the problem. Or Ahab said, there's the problem. It's that prophet, you see. You're the one that caused the trouble in Israel. But in verse 18, notice what? Elijah's response was, and he answered, I'm not trouble, Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. And listen to me, Christian, if things are not right in your life, it's not the pastor's fault. It's because you've forsaken the Lord. You're not serving God like you ought to. You're not obeying God. You're not doing what you ought to do. Don't try to blame other people. Look at your own rebellion. Look at your own disobedience to the things of God, to the word of God. We need to turn the spotlight on ourselves. And then I want to see a second thing that will bring revival. And that is we need to become single-minded about the Lord single-minded about the Lord. Notice in verse 19, the Bible says, Now therefore sin and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400. That's, that's 850 if my math is right. Which eat at Jezebel's table. In verse 20 it says, so, so Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. In verse 21, it says, and Elijah came unto all the people, now get this, and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. They must have been members of Soul's Harbor. <laughs> they didn't say a word, boy. They just sat there and looked at him, huh? <laughs> now what was he saying? 
He's saying, look, you are halting between two opinions. To halt between two opinions means that they were not decided about whether or not they were going to follow God or not. You see, on the one hand, boy, they wanted to follow Baal and, and, and be in the in crowd and, and, and do what was popular, you see, and, and do what was acceptable in society, which was to follow Baal. But on the other hand, they knew that they needed to serve God and that God was, 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 was really God and that God had done all these wonderful things for them. And so instead of them saying, boy, we're going to get down to business for God... They said, well, you know, we'll just kind of have it both ways. Oh, we believe in God, but we also want to do our own thing. We believe in God, but you know, man, you know, you got to live in the world, you know. And Elijah says, you're halting between two opinions. He says, look, if God is God, then follow him. That makes sense, doesn't it? Man, if this Bible is true, then why don't we follow it? If this Bible is the word of God and it is the word of God, then why don't we live by it? Why don't we follow the word of God? Hey, Christian, listen to me. You can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have the best of both worlds, you see. You're either going to live for God or you're going to live for devil or for the devil. You can't have it both ways. And if we're going to have revival then we must become single-minded about serving the Lord. In other words, we need to make up our minds. These people thought that they could serve God and serve Baal at the same time. Now, double-mindedness toward God leads to a couple of things. First of all, it produces an unstable life. And I see a lot of Christians have unstable lives. Man, they're in and out. They're back and forth. They're up and down. What does that say? Instability. Instability. Can't never keep a thing nailed down. Man, nothing's ever solid for them, you see. I'm saying I know Christians who live that way. The problem is instability in their lives. Look, look, look at what the Bible says in, in, in James chapter 1, verse 5. James chapter 1 <laughs> In verse number five, our lives are not to be characterized by instability. We're to be solid, you see, stable for God. Amen. 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 Single-minded about the Lord. Look what the Bible says in James 1 and verse 5. If any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be what? Given. Given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. And you're back and forth with your faith. And you believe God today. You don't believe God tomorrow. Hey, the Bible says, let not that man think that he will receive anything from God. Notice what it says. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know what? Listen to me. You know what that's saying? That when we are double-minded toward God, then that means that we are unstable in every other area of our lives. If you listen to me now, listen, I'm not reading anything. Listen, look up this way, please. 
when we are, are, are not single-minded toward God, when we're double-minded toward God, that means that we're unstable in our family life. Hello? It means we are unstable as far as our, our livelihood, our jobs, and things like that. We're unstable with our finances. We're unstable in every other area of our life. If we cannot be a single-minded toward God, hey, listen, we won't even be single-minded in our marriages. Amen. Because if we cannot be faithful to God, we will not be faithful in anything else. And I see so many Christians, it's sad. Man, you know, you never know where they stand. You never know where they're going to land. You never know, you know, man, if you can count on them or not. Then you look at their lives and you see that their whole life is that way. Because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, you see. Oh, listen, God will send revival but boy, we've got to turn the spotlight on ourselves and see our own sin. And we've got to become single-minded about serving the Lord. Because this double-mindedness produces instability, but it also is spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And... Uh, Verse number four, James chapter four, and verse number four. It says in verse four, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now notice what he calls them. He, he calls them adulterers. And adulteresses. Now, he didn't call them that because, you know, here, here's a man that, that's being unfaithful to his wife. That is adultery, but that's not the kind of adultery he's talking about. He didn't call them that because here's a woman that, that's uh, being unfaithful to her husband. He's saying that because as Christians, they were being unfaithful to God. They were committing spiritual adultery as far as their relationship with God. They were not being true to God. They were not being faithful to their God. God says you're adulterers and adulteresses. Why? Now listen, <laughs> because listen, they had a desire, even though they were God's people, they had a desire to be friends with the world. Right. They said we're saved, man, alive. we're on our way to heaven, but boy, we sure do love the world. Mm. Uh, mm. There's a lot of Christians like that. Right. I mentioned this morning, I won't belabor the point, but I want to tell you something. I've never seen so many Christians, folks that are on their way to heaven, man, if you, that, that, well, we want to listen to the world's music, we want to dress the way the world dresses, we want to have the world's attitude, man, we want it, we, listen, we want everything the world has to offer. And God says we're adulterers when we're that way. Because we're not being faithful to God. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we, we live in this world. And so, you know, we drive cars and we live in houses and, and, and we certainly wear clothes and, and all these kinds of things. We live in this world. But listen, God says, though we are in this world, we must never be of the world.
these words, remember Lot's wife. Now, what was it about Lot's wife that was, you know, you know, that would help us? That, 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 that we need to remember? Well, I can only think about one thing. God told them that when they fled that city, that they were not to look back. And as they fled that city, that wicked Sodomite city, she looked back. And God turned her to a pillar of salt. Now, what was the problem with Lot's wife? Well, she was physically fleeing the city, wasn't she? But her heart was back yonder in Sodom and Gomorrah. Huh? Boy, so many Christians live that way. We're on our way to heaven, but our heart's in the world. Huh? We're in church, but our hearts in the world. And listen, we will never have revival that way. We must be single-minded about serving God. Single-minded about serving God. Are you single-minded tonight? While we sing that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And I see Christians turning back all over the place. Huh? All to Jesus, I surrender. A friend of mine was preaching, and, and, and he said this. If we were honest, uh, you know, we wouldn't sing that song, All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. We sing it, Some to Jesus, I surrender. Some to him, I freely give. I will sometimes love and trust him in his presence. Sometimes live. I surrender some. Some to thee, uh, my blessed Savior, I surrender some. Hey, if we were honest, many of us would sing it like that. Because we're not single-minded about serving the Lord. I'm not saying that there aren't some sincere Christians. I'm not saying that there aren't some Christians who are living for God all day uh, with all of their might and all of their strength and all of their heart. But I'm saying, friend, if you're here tonight and you need revival, and boy, you, you know that, that you're saved, but there's something missing in your life. I'm saying that I ask yourself, am I single-minded about the Lord? Or have I allowed something to get in there? I like that song by C.A. Tinley. He was a preacher of years and years gone by, but greatly used of God. But he wrote this song when he faced a problem that he feared would cause him to get away from God. And he wrote this song, Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Not of this world's delusive dream. I've renounced all sinful pleasure. I'm resolved. There's nothing between. And I wonder this evening, can you honestly say that there's nothing between you and God? There's nothing between your soul and the Savior. Nothing between. Oh, listen, Christians, as we look at this passage of Scripture, Elijah was saying to them in verse 21, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. That's not unreasonable, is it? But if Baal... Then follow him, and the people answered him. Now, we're look at Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. Look at what the Bible says there, Romans 12 and verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, 
acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, the thing that I want us to see there is that God says that we're to present ourselves to, to him. We're to give ourselves to him. But notice what he says. It is our reasonable service. It is reasonable for God to ask that of us. It's not unreasonable. Amen. It's not some far-fetched thing that God is asking that we would give ourselves totally and unreservedly over to him. It is reasonable that we give ourselves over to God. Amen? Amen. Sure it is. Oh, listen, if, if God's going to really bless and we're going to see revival, friends, we need to turn the spotlight on ourselves, but we need to be single-minded about the Lord. And then I want us to see, thirdly, that we need to take a bold stand for God. Amen. A bold stand for God. In verse number 22, it says, Then said Elijah unto the people, I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophet of 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And, and, and I'm not going to read the whole rest of the passage, but listen to me. Elijah was willing to take a bold stand for God. And we need to do the same. Well, if you read this passage, you see that, that Elijah was greatly outnumbered. There was about 850 of these false prophets hanging around. And then all of the people who, who were halting between two opinions. Now, you know, that's a lot of pressure to compromise. That's a lot of pressure to say, boy, you know, man, you know, I, I don't know if I really want to take a stand. But Elijah took a bold stand for God. That was bold as far as what he did. And listen, we need to be willing to take a bold stand for God. I'm saying tonight, we need to take a bold stand in our home. Amen? Amen. In our home. Listen, I believe with all my heart, hey, if we are not for God in our home, how can we be for God anywhere else? And yet I see so many people that don't even take a bold stand for God in their home. Parents just let the kids do whatever they want to do. Huh? Dads won't leave their family. I'm saying, listen, we need to stand up in our home and say, hey, this is a Christian home and we're going to live for God. Well, like what Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve God. You see, that's a bold step, especially in the day and age that we live in today. We need to take a bold stand for God at work. And again, I mentioned it this morning. It's not always easy. Oh, you work in one of these places and, man, alive. Then they want to have their parties and they talk their trash. And, boy, you know, they want to sit around on break time and gossip and talk filth and all that. Hey, listen, God has you there, friend, so that you can take a stand for him. Doesn't mean you got to be preaching all the time and all, but you know what? But you can stand up and be counted for God. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Stand up, my friend. You know, it's amazing. You know, the, the, these, uh, these uh, uh, I don't know what to call them anymore. We used to call them queers and uh, they call them, uh, but you know, the Bible calls them sodomites, you know, but they're not ashamed, you know. Boy, they'll stand up and, boy, they, they, you know, man, hey, listen, these abortionists, they're not ashamed. Right. 
The only folks I see being ashamed are the Christians. And we don't want it to be known. You know, we're closet Christians. Used to be closet gays or closet this. Hey, now there's closet. Hey, God doesn't have any secret agents. Amen. Man, let them know. Listen, everybody on your job ought to know where you stand for Christ. They ought to just know it, friend. They ought to know it. Hey, when they get ready to have their little parties and drinking their booze, hey, they ought to know doesn't do any good to invite so-and-so because they're not coming. Amen. Amen. They're circulating their little filthy junk around the office, whether it be on the computer or some other thing. Hey, they ought to know hey, it doesn't do any good to go there because they're not going to hear it, friend. And sadly, in some places, man, they, they, they have no fear of, of, of telling that, you know, the Christian that filthy joke or anything because you're never taking a stand for God. Oh, listen, friend, we need to take a bold stand at home, a bold stand at work, a bold stand in our community. Amen? Amen. Everybody in this community ought to know where Souls Harbor Baptist Church stands. And I'll guarantee you, they're not going to all like you for it. They're not going to all agree with you. But I'll guarantee you one thing, they'll respect you. But you got to take a stand for God. Boy, I tell you, you know, I, I, the church I go to, I'll be honest with you. You know, somebody comes to join our church that lives in a community. And, uh, and time and time again, we've heard people say, yeah, I told, I told my neighbor I was going to that church. And they've never had a person say, well, that's a great church. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you're going there. They always go, you go to that church? Oh, no, not that church. Huh? Sad to say, they don't like us much in the community. And, and it's sad because we, listen, our church ha has done more good for that community than any church in that area. Amen. But they don't like us. They really don't like us. But they know where we stand. Amen? We're planning, I, I don't know if you heard this, we're planning a, 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 a big campaign. We're going to blitz the whole area. This is a small town. Hey, we live in, and, and we're going to all get together on a, on, on a church night, and, 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 and then we're, we're going to, a couple of thousand of us just going to go out in the whole town and knock on every door and get tracks out. And, and, and you know what? They're really not going to like us after that. But you see, our stand for God has nothing to do with whether or not they like us, friends. Hey, we're going to take a stand for God. Some will get saved. They really will. Hey, listen, if you're in school, whether you be a young person in school or you're an adult and you're in some uh, educational program, hey, you know what? You need to take a stand for God at school. Take a stand. Hey, you know, man, these people want to talk about their evolution and all their ungodly things. Hey, take a stand for God. Amen. Let them know where you stand. God blesses us. When we're willing to take a stand for him, even if it means standing alone. And Elijah was standing alone. You see, he didn't have hundreds of those Jews rushing to his side saying, Elijah, I'm with you, man. No, they were standing far back from Elijah as they could. But he was willing to stand alone. But think about it. If he wouldn't have been willing to stand alone, revival never would have came to these people. 
He's willing to take a bold, and sometimes it just takes one person, you see, to take a bold stand. You say, I'm just one person. What difference can I make? You can make a tremendous difference if you'll take a stand for God, you see. And then I want us to see that we need to get back to prayer. If we're going to have revival, I see in this passage that there was a tremendous emphasis on prayer. Look at verse 36. It says, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. Now watch this. And that thou hast turned their heart back again. What did Elijah do? Elijah got back to prayer, you see. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Now listen to this. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And how are we going to see revival? Oh, when we pray. When we get back to the closet, you see, and get with God and beg God, then God will send revival. The Bible says Elias was a man, now get this, subject to like passions as we are. Well, I like that. And the reason I like that is because it reminds me that Elijah was not a perfect man. Elijah was not some superhuman man. He was just a man. And he had all the faults and frailties that you and I have, yet he prayed. It says that Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. Just one man, you see. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. When we pray as Elijah prayed, then we'll see God's power manifested in our midst as Elijah saw. Now I think we've, we've gotten too dependent upon man. We've gotten too dependent upon what we can do. We're not nearly as dependent upon God for what he can do. You see, prayer, earnest prayer, brings God into action, you see. Gets God involved with the situation. I just wonder how much we're crying out to God. How much we're beseeching God. Man, that, that God would send revival. That God would make a difference. That God would show himself mighty in our midst. We'll never have revival till we get back to prayer. See? The Bible says that we're to humble ourselves. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and what? And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. We need to get back to prayer. And then I want us to see finally the final piece of this puzzle. And yet I believe it's so important. That is that we deal harshly with our sin. You remember we spoke in the beginning about looking at ourselves. But boy, when you begin to look at yourself, then God begins to show you yourself. I was telling the pastor and his family about a 
situation a long time ago. I, I was newly, pretty newly saved, and I started going to a Bible institute, and uh, and I would leave work. I worked days, and I'd leave work and go to the Bible institute, and then go home. You know, after that, you know, two or three times a week. And so where I worked, I was a welder, and it was pretty dirty, and my car was dirty. And I had on this real, and I changed clothes that day, and I had on a real light tan suit, leisure suit. Y'all remember those leisure suits? <laughs> you still got yours, don't you, brother? <laughs> Along with that Nehru jacket, right? You still got it. But, but, but I told him, I, I remember this, this one day, I had this, this suit on. So I didn't want the pants to get dirty, so I took my pants leg and rolled it way up there like that, you know. And I had them both rolled up all the way up to my knee. And so I'm going along, and, and I think, well, I, I stopped and get me something to eat before I go. So I stopped at the McDonald's. I jumped out of the car, and I went in there, Brother Evelyn. And the first person that saw me, they just kind of looked at me like this. And I went a little ways, the next table, and then that person looked at me like, and I thought, boy, I am looking sharp today. I am dressed to kill. Then I went up to the counter, and the guy came up there to wait on me, and he looks at me. A sharp suit, boy. And, I, and so on my way out, I said, well, I'll stop and wash my hands. Went into the restroom and washed my hands, and the mirror was tilted. I guess more like handicapped. And, and all I could see was my pants leg when I looked at When I looked in that mirror, so I washed my hands and both of my pants leg were roll all the way up here. He said, what'd you do? I hurry up and got them down. Now, I don't turn red very often, but I think I turned red that day. At least on the inside, yeah. <laughs> somewhere. But you see, it, it, it kind of goes with what I'm saying, and it's funny, but, but, but listen to me. You see, I didn't see myself as I was. Well, I thought I was all right. I thought I was sharp. Boy, I thought I was really stepping. And I looked like a fool, you see. They, they thought, man, this man's crazy. This man's lost his mind, you know. But listen to me. But when I saw it, I did something about it. I really would have been a fool if I had just walked out like that, like, well, that's just the normal way. No, I did something about it. And I'm saying tonight, listen, once God shows us that sin, those errors in our lives that we need to deal with, hey, we need to deal harshly with it. You can't be soft about it. You can't pet it, you see. You must deal harshly with your sin. Notice what the Bible says here in, in uh, verse number 40. Said, and Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. Not one, you see. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now, boy, that seems harsh to us, doesn't it? We think, man, how could he do that? I thought he was a prophet. I thought he was a preacher. I thought he was a man of God. How could he be so mean? Hey, listen, because he understood and God understood that as long as those false prophets lived, they would always turn those people back to Baal. And I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me, and I'm through. If you don't deal harshly with the sin in your life, that sin will someday 
turn you away from God. So you can't pet it. You can't say, well, you know, uh, you know that's my sin and, 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 and so-and-so's got their sin and everybody's got some sin. So I'll just kind of, you know, you know I, I, I won't be real hard on my sin. Hey, you've got to say it, friends. It'll one day come back to destroy you, you see. And I think that's where we lose it so often. Boy, we, you know, God speaks to our heart. Maybe about this sin, about this area in our life. We see it. Man, we get disturbed about it. But when it comes time to do something about it, then we slack up. Then we say, oh, well, you know, I, I don't know if I want to be drastic now. I want to be radical now. Huh? I remember I was preaching out in Southington, Connecticut, out in New England. And a uh, guy had recently gotten saved, a guy by the name of Tom Ng. What was his name? Tom Ng. And he had just recently gotten saved. And, boy, he was a hippie, you know, and just a long-haired hippie, you know. And, and he had gotten saved. And, and I'd give my testimony about how I got saved and was in a rock and roll band and God changed my life. And so that night, the first night I saw him, the you know, the whole buzz around the church. And Tom was a young man. He was, I don't know, 21, 20, 19, something like that. But the whole buzz around the church was, man, do you, you know, look at Tom. Look at Tom. Look at Tom. Look at Tom. And I was like, what in the world's going on? Well, I found out what happened was Tom had came in sometime before, again, long-haired, hippie, you know, and, and got saved. And this was the first night that Tom came to church. Man, he had a haircut. And everybody was going, look at Tom, man. You know, I mean, just kind of, you know, man, yeah, Tom, man, Tom's making some changes, man, you know. They were excited about it. I said, oh, all right, man, praise the Lord. So after that, that, that first night that I was there, Tom come, came up to me you know, after the service and was talking to me about, he said, you know, about his music. He said, man, you know, boy, I, I've got all these CDs and rock and roll stuff. He said, and, and, and he said, what should I do with it? You know, how can I get rid of it? I said, I'll tell you what, Tom, you bring that stuff to church tomorrow night, and I'll show you how to get rid of it. Now, I thought, now, honestly, I thought, he ain't going to do anything, you know. I, that next night, I'm standing by the tape table. Before the service, he comes up to me, and he said, I got it. I said, I got what? The tapes and stuff. I said, you do? I said, bring them in, man. He went out there, I'm serious, he had a couple of crates of CDs, I, I'm serious, several thousand dollars of CDs and, and tapes, and not only that, uh, because I told him, I said, man, not only the CDs, but you got any t-shirts and, 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 and junk, like, bring that junk too. He, he had all this junk, and I, I had him set it up on the, on the platform there, and I was preaching that night, and, and afterwards I had him come up and and I was just talking some, and, and I was just showing the people some of the covers, some of the satanic stuff on, on, on those CDs and stuff. And, and it's just amazing. And so after the service, you know, normally, you know, the guest preachers there, they were shaking some people's hands. And then I went out to the tape table, and I'm thinking after the service, and I'll talk to them about these tapes and stuff. And I'm standing at the tape table, and, and, I, and I kept hearing something out in the parking lot go, smash. I'm thinking, you know. Smash! Now, now I'm standing in the doorway, and I could see outside the doors open. It's the summertime, and all of a sudden, I saw this glow. 
I said, hmm, I wonder what's going on. I went outside and there was a, a bonfire out there. This guy had taken a hammer and was busting them CDs up, pow, throwing them in the fire, pow, throwing, that's a huge fire. And that's not all. There were guys in that church who had pornographic magazines. They were throwing them into the fire. There were guys in that church who, who came in the service with cigarettes, packets, and they were throwing that stuff. I'm saying there was a huge fire. Listen, there was so much stuff burned in the morning. The next day, the fire was still smoldering. He burned all that junk. He got rid of all of it. And I'm saying, listen, he was willing to take drastic steps for God. Say what happened to him. Became a bus captain. Started living for God. Got in the Bible Institute. But you see, that was something there that, listen, he had a choice to make of whether or not he was going to cling to that, you see, and be half-stepping for God or get rid of it and go all the way for God. He decided to go all the way for God. And I'm asking you tonight, friend, what is it that you're holding on to, you see? Boy, that, that cherished sin, that thing that, boy, you just love so much, but it's not right, and you know it's not right, and God's convicted you that it's not right, but you can't bring yourself to turn it loose. Hey, friend, you'll never be what you ought to be for God. Amen. Until you're willing to deal drastically with your sin. Are you willing to do that tonight? Because if you're not, forget about revival. Just get it settled in your mind. You're going to be a mediocre Christian the rest of your life. Oh, you're going to heaven. You're saved. But you'll never soar like an eagle like God intended for you. You'll never have what God wanted you to have. You'll never be what God wanted you to be. How to have revival. It's not easy, is it? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if the evangelist came and had a pocket full of revival dust and could just like that and just and oh we leave everybody leave happy happy you know and but that's not that's not how it works you see oh that that there are some things we need to do oh listen we need to start looking at ourselves this is the last time you just spent some time just looking at yourself and ask God God show me me. Show me the real me, God. Not, not the me that I think I am. Not the me that other people think I am. God, show me the me that I really am. Hmm? How about taking a bold stand for God? God, God? God just can't bless a coward, you see. We need to be bold for God. We need to pray. And deal harshly with our sin. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. Huh? Let's bow our heads. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. God wants to bless in a tremendous way. God wants to bless in my life, in your life, in every person's life in this room. And so you see, the hindrance is not with God. Evidently, the problem is in me and in you. You're here tonight. 
course, salvation is the most important thing. We, we, we know that, and we always are careful to mention that. If you're here and you're not saved, you don't need revival. You need salvation. And salvation is free. You can be saved tonight. Oh, the Bible says that, that listen, that you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Repent of your sin. Repent, my friend. Turn from your way. Turn to Jesus Christ. Receive him tonight as your Savior. I wonder who here tonight would say, Brother McCoy, I'm not saved. You preach about revival, but I need salvation. I need to be born again, like the Bible says. Who's here tonight? And you say, Brother McCord, pray for me that I would get saved. Who's like that tonight? I need salvation. Would you just slip your hand up quickly, and we'll, we'll include you in the prayer. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to make you do anything. But, boy, if you're here and you know you need to be saved, at least you could raise your hand and say, pray for me that I'd get saved. Who's like that here tonight? Pray for me that I'd get saved, that I'd receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Who's like that here tonight? I wonder how many Christians here tonight would say, Brother McCoy, I need revival. And I'm willing to do what it takes to have revival in my life. If you're like that, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and, and I'll include you. In, and amen. God bless you. Who else? I need revival. That's a simple thing, isn't it? I need revival. You know, it, boy, if, if anybody knows, you know. You know where you are. Well, you know if you've got the zeal and the fire and the intensity in your Christian life that you once had. Who else? Say, pray for me. I need revival. I'm not as close to God as I used to be. Father in heaven, oh, God, I pray tonight, Lord. That you would do a work in our lives. God, bring revival where revival is needed. Send your fire, your power. God, as, as in days of old. God, help us to get back to a place, God, where we were just full of your joy and full of your love and full of your peace. Where we're on fire for you, God. Help us tonight. God, deal with hearts and lives. Bless this invitation, Father, and especially the hands that were raised, God, people acknowledging that there's a need in their lives. Meet that need tonight. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's all stand our feet, and as Mrs. Hoover plays, would you come tonight, spend some time with God. Come on, Christian. You know where you are. God's dealt with your heart. Come on, Christian. Oh, listen, let God have his way. Let God have his way. What God could do with a handful of folks who are on fire for him. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Not of this world's delusive dream.